Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So good to see you. I hope the Christmas season is treating you well. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. And it is that festive time of the year that we always look for a little something special to talk about on today's episode. And here's a curious thing that I found. It's uh, a, a bit of sheet music, not terribly old, probably from the early 60s, 1963, we'll say. The pages are quite yellowed and a little tattered. This song sheet is a song that is quite popular around the holidays. Of course, originally written by Edward Pola and George Wiley, and most famously recorded by Andy Williams. The song is, of course, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But the curious thing about this song is some of the lyrics, and we'll, we'll recite some of them right now as we get into our episode. There'll be part Parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow, there'll be scary ghost stories, and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. Christmas is, of course, a perfect time for the bizarre and the curious. So let's take a look at some of my favorite Christmas oddities. Christmas is a time of year to celebrate, of course, the birth of Jesus. It's a time of year to give rather than receive. It's a time for joy and peace on earth. It's a time for trees and Santa and candlelight services. And you may not know this, but it is even a time for some ghost stories. Of course, ghost stories during Christmas time uh, dates back to the pagan days when they celebrated the winter solstice with a festival called Yule, which was later adopted and Christianized into Christmas. It was a time of year when the day was at its shortest and darkness covered the earth uh, more than more than any other time of the year. And much like we believe Halloween is the time when the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. That was the prevailing belief of those living in those times where tales of the supernatural weren't tales, they were more fact than fiction. And the tradition of ghost stories during the holidays proceeded through the Victorian era. Of course, we got one of our most famous Christmas ghost stories with Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. But then we saw the, the oddities and the ghost stories of Christmas kind of fall way to a more uh, happy and kid-centric uh, version of Christmas, Santa Claus and Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman, Christmas trees and happy Christmas carols. But I, for one, have always been a fan of horror and sci-fi and fantasy any time of year, but especially those rare occurrences when you get something really good that combines horror, fantasy, and sci-fi with the Christmas holiday. And this episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, we're going to talk about some of my absolute favorite pieces of television and film that combine the Christmas holiday with horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. Now, I'm not going to be able to go through all of it. There's a lot of it out there. Some good, some not so good. But we're going to talk about some of my favorites. And if we don't get to a TV show episode 
or a Christmas special or a movie that you think, well, that that should definitely be something uh, he should be talking about. Never fear. There's always next year. But these are these are some of my personal favorites that I can't go through the Christmas holiday without watching. And one of my favorites ever since I was a kid growing up was The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. Now, this was a, a 1985 stop-motion animation television special, uh, Rankin Bass Productions, and it's based on the 1902 uh, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus by L. Frank Baum, who wrote uh, Wizard of Oz. And if anybody's ever read Wizard of Oz, I'm not talking about just seeing the the movie. I'm talking about read The Wizard of Oz. That is a whacked-out story. So just think of that and apply that sort of out there storytelling with Santa Claus and you get the life and adventures of Santa Claus, the, the film, which really takes a, an alternative take. You know, everybody's seen Santa Claus is coming to town, which is a more traditional telling of how Santa Claus came to be. But this, for me, as a, a kid growing up, a fan of uh, the odd and the bizarre and science fiction and fantasy, there's not really a lot of horror in this, but I suppose uh, in some regards, maybe there is a, a tiny little spark of what could be considered horror in this because it is bizarre. It's about this young baby that they, they name Klaus who is found by all these mythological woodland creatures, wood nymphs nooks uh the great ack and they raise santa claus in this sort of mythological uh woodland setting and that's how he learns how to speak all these different languages uh not just uh, human languages but uh, bird and he can speak with this lioness shiagra that's a, a really fun drinking game every time they mention the lioness shiagra in this uh you have to take a drink you are going to be snookered by the time this this whole thing is said and done clocking in at about just 50 minutes but it's such a, a fun and bizarre telling of the santa claus story santa claus grows up in this this uh this woodland fantasy realm and then goes off and starts making toys and and then you get a little bit more the traditional telling of how santa claus comes to be but it's such a, a fun story it's a dark story because at the beginning of it santa claus is is about to die and they're deciding you know the all these mythological creatures that are immortal uh, are deciding whether they should grant santa claus immortality and it's the telling of his story as a as a plea to, to grant him immortality because of all the good things he's done. And of course, this is a, a kid's show that uh, it, it does end up with a happy ending. But it, it was so fun for me as a kid to grow up. Uh, you know, you had all of the, the regular, normal Santa Claus stuff. Santa Claus is coming to town. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All the, the typical stories. But for this to add so much fantasy to it to the santa claus story with these bizarre creatures and of course the stop motion animation that rankin bass did back in the day uh, was so bizarre in and of itself and then to add all these these creatures into the mix just made it that more odd and like i said uh bizarre and curious that i was captivated by this anytime you know during the christmas season 
I would rush home from school because usually they'd play these, uh, you know, before the five o'clock news. And I would just pray that this was going to be one of the one of the shows they would uh, would play on uh, network television. And then I went for a long time not seeing this because it's not a Christmas special that you see that often because everyone wants the Santa Claus is coming to town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But when I met my wife and we started dating, I found out she was a huge fan of this as well because she loved the fact that it was such an odd, bizarre telling, uh, you know, all the weird, fanciful things that L. Frank Baum comes up with. She loved this as well. So I, I searched the internet and found a, a DVD of this. And uh, so now we have this. So we watch it every year. But this is one of those fun. I mean, it's for kids, but it is something that an adult can enjoy because it does take an odder, more bizarre, fanciful look at the you know, non-traditional look at the way Santa Claus came to be, which to me is always fun. And this is definitely something that I watch every Christmas. Speaking of something else I watch every Christmas and in in the vein of television is an episode of The Twilight Zone. It originally aired back on December 23rd, 1960 on, on CBS, and it was called Night of the Meek. And if I'm not mistaken, the only Christmas episode of The Twilight Zone that they did, and it stars Art Carney from The Honeymooners, who plays Henry Corwin. He's a, a drunk department store Santa who's tired of seeing people go without. He's tired of seeing the people that live on his street, the kids with, with nothing and the elderly people with nothing, just barely, you know, hanging on. And he gives this great little monologue about how he lives in a dirty rooming house on a street filled with hungry kids and shabby people. And all he wants to do is is be Santa Claus so he can provide them with something, a little hope. And, and he goes on to say he'd like to see the meek inherit the earth, quoting the Bible. Well, he stumbles upon this bag, this, this big Santa Claus-y type red Christmas bag, and he pulls out what everybody wants. So he gets to play Santa. And it plays against the, the fact that the department store owner that or manager that kicks him out because he's stinking drunk and and there's there's a little bit of uh tension between those two uh he's it's mr dundee played by john feidler who you may remember his voice he i mean he's been on a bunch of things uh through the 50s 60s and on but uh you remember remember him early on in the winnie the pooh cartoons he played the voice of piglet but there's a bit of conflict between Mr. Corwin and Mr. Dundee. Uh, Mr. Dundee believes that all these gifts in this magical bag that Mr. Corwin has uh, are items that he stole from the department store that he used to work at and tries to get him arrested. But he keeps from, from getting arrested. He ends up giving away all the presents in this bag. And, and somebody asked him, well, what, what did you get? What gift would you want? And, and he says essentially that he... His only wish would be that he could do this every year. And when he returns to the alley where he found the bag, he finds a big sleigh and a couple elves, and they decide that uh, he should be Santa. And he gets his wish and gets to be Santa and flies off in the sleigh. And, of course, Mr. Dundee and the uh, officer that there were some interactions with before who've who've been drinking quite heavily 
on a vintage 1903 cherry brandy. Uh, They're not quite sure if it's the brandy or if they're really seeing uh, Mr. Corwin uh, flying off in Santa's sleigh. But it's such a it's such a heartwarming episode. And I don't mean to get all sappy and sentimental, but you know, the holiday time is all about sentimentality sometimes. And and just doing good for people, not because they deserve it, but because because sometimes people need to have something nice done for them. And it's just such a heartwarming episode where this man who has nothing just wants to give. And I think it's a lesson we could all learn. It's cliche, but it is better to give than to receive. And sometimes people with nothing give the most. And I think it's a lesson we could all learn. And this is such a a fun episode. It's got some humor. It's got some sentimentality to it. It's got some sweetness to it. It's heartwarming. It's heartbreaking. Uh, I can't get through this without (laughs) getting a little watery-eyed. I know you're probably sitting there thinking, you say that a lot on this, this podcast. And if you think I might be a bit of a ball baby, you're probably not wrong. I don't think you're right. I don't think you're, I'm a ball baby. But the evidence would point to the contrary. Thank God this is on uh, audio and not video. I might even be tearing up right now. But anyway, uh, this is such a fun episode and definitely uh, uh, an episode that I always seek out during during the Christmas time. It's it's one of my Christmas traditions is to to sit down and watch Night of the Meek on the Twilight Zone. I believe it is season two, episode 11, which I believe you can find Twilight Zone. I believe it's still on Netflix. I think you can find it on Hulu. There's, there's lots of places where you can find the old Twilight Zone episodes. Such a fantastic series to begin with. Uh, maybe we'll do uh, an episode sometime in the future of some of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone, but, but this definitely one that I always seek out out during Christmas time for a great showing of a, a little Christmas magic. Now, one of my more recent favorites is a movie that came out in 2015 by director Michael Doherty, who was part of the writing team, and they filmed this in New Zealand with a lot of help from Weta Workshop. Of course, Weta Workshop, uh, known for all the effects they did, practical and digital, with the Lord of the Rings trilogy and i absolutely love this movie this is one of those newer movies that became a christmas tradition in my house as soon as i saw it it is 2015's krampus starring adam scott tony collette david keckner Alison tallman and the the late great uh, kanchana farrell uh, uh many more uh, young actors that uh, did such a fantastic job with this but this is uh great movie for the holidays for me because it adds that element of of fantasy it adds an element of horror it feels like a fairy tale especially with the the practical costuming and the practical effects and, and creature design of what a workshop and making Krampus and all of Krampus's minions and the things that come to life like the cookies and the jack-in-the-box and and all these sorts of uh, creatures that do the bidding of Krampus. I like how they play they play a little fast and loose. I mean there's a lot of interpretations of how Krampus comes about but I like in this storytelling that they they make it so Krampus comes when you lose the Christmas spirit. And these days, you know, this family that we get to see, 
the Engel family, uh, the, the family proper, and then their extended family with the uncle and aunt and cousins that come along. I mean, this this is <laughs> this is a typical family today. Uh, everybody's yelling. Everybody, you know, doesn't get along all the time. There's different views politically and socioeconomically. And this main character, Max, loses Christmas spirit. And this summons Krampus. Quite ironically, there is an old German grandmother, uh, Omi, played by Krista Stadler, who does such a fantastic job as this uh, elderly German woman who had a run-in with Krampus when she was a young girl. And I loved the flashback scene that they did with her as a little girl and telling this story. And they kind of did it in an animation that I, I'm not really sure what the style of animation is called, but it looks like paper cutouts uh, of figures and like they're being moved with sticks and uh, like a little bit of a uh, puppetry involved. I'm pretty sure they did it all digitally, but it looks so cool and it can be done in a very creepy style. And that was really one of the cool things that I, I really loved about Krampus. And you get all the horror that you would expect from a, a movie like this. It was billed kind of as a, a horror fairy tale. And, and they did such a fantastic job with that. And the creature design. And like I said, uh, some of the things coming to life. You know, the jack of the box. And uh, the giant, turn into this giant worm type thing. And the, uh, the little Christmas cookies. Uh, the Christmas cookies... The CG wasn't as good as uh, as I've seen in, in other things, uh, but I, it didn't bother me because this did play so much like a, a fairy tale that I, I was okay with the gingerbread men coming to life and not looking quite 100% realistic. It was still pretty good. Uh, like I said, it didn't bother me, though, uh, because there was so much else that was done well. The creature design of, of the other minions, uh, the Krampus creature design was so creepy, and you never got like a really good look at his face until the end. And even then, it wasn't a, a great, you know, it's all firelit. But the lead-up to Krampus showing up, and this this block is is cast in this winter blizzard and you get glimpses of Krampus hopping rooftop to rooftop and and little glimpses of him but you never really get a good look at him just played up to the horror and the tension and in those sorts of things we've always talked about that and then the attack on the house uh, where the family kind of comes together to protect themselves to protect each other to protect the family from the wolves at the door so to speak and these family members die protecting one another and, and it feels like they've learned their lesson. It feels like Max has learned his lesson by the very end of it. But it had such a great ambiguous end. They did a couple filmings of the end. One that was a little more ambiguous. One that pretty much told you what happened to them. They're stuck in some sort of uh, Krampus purgatory. It was such a cool and creepy ending to this movie that really did kind of lend itself to the fact that this is a this is a Christmas fairy tale. This is a morality lesson. You're supposed to be getting something this. So there's a moral to the story, whether it's about consumerism or compassion to your fellow man or some political metaphor. And I think that's one of the fun things about adding elements of horror and fantasy and science fiction to to the Christmas holiday is the fact that you can really take a story into some darker places where the stakes are a lot higher. And yeah, 
Uh, you can watch your Hallmark Christmas movie and find out that love really wins in the end, but you don't really learn a lot about yourself in a, in a movie like that. I mean, if that's your thing, you know, far be it from me. But I like shows like this, or actually movies like this, that allow you to to see darker things, to, to raise the stakes a little higher. When, when it's a life and death situation, uh, the stakes are higher and the lessons learned have a little more weight to them, a little more gravitas, uh, which is one of the reasons I love this. Such a great morality tale and done in a fun yet horrifying modern day folktale or fairy tale, if you will. Now, this next curious thing we're going to talk about, it's not a movie in and of itself, yet it's not an episode, it's not a special, it is a story within an anthology. In 1972, the British horror anthology film uh, directed by Freddie Francis, uh, Tales from the Crypt, and this is long before The Crypt Keeper or Demon Knight or any of those things, it was based off the original EC Comics, and it featured five tales with the through line of these five strangers from a tourist group uh, viewing this old catacomb. And the Crypt Keeper is telling each of them how they may die. And the very first tale we get to experience is a tale taken from Vault of Horror in 1954. It stars Joan Collins. She kills her husband on Christmas Eve. She's preparing to hide the body. She hears a radio announcement of a homicidal maniac on the loose. Now, she sees this killer outside of her house dressed in a, a ratty Santa Claus outfit. He's outdoors trying to get in, but she can't call the police because if she calls the police, they're going to see the crime that she just committed. Now, after cleaning up and some other things going on, this, this madman outside the house, she finally attempts to call the police with the intention of, you know, she's going to make them believe that the, the maniac killed her husband. But then we see her young daughter unlock the front door and let in this maniac, believing this maniac is Santa Claus. And then he uh, attacks uh, Joan Collins' character and, and strangles her. And, and that's where we are left off. And it's, it's a short story, but it really plays on the tension of this, this madman in this creepy Santa Claus outfit outside this home trying to get in. And then when he finally does get in, it's such a it's such a bit of horror because the innocence of this child thinking this is Santa Claus and she just did it in her mother, which you you worry for this woman because she's going to be killed by the man, but she's a killer herself. She just killed her husband, this child's father. So it really plays on a lot of things. There's the tension and the horror of this madman outside the home, but then there's also the, the juxtaposition between worrying about this woman, not wanting the madman to get her, and the fact that she's probably getting what she deserves in the end. And then there's the unknown. What happens to this child after this madman kills the mother. It's it's just really plays on a, a very psychologically horrific level. And it has the Christmas tie-in, which makes this... Uh, a, I mean, the whole anthology film of Tales of the Crypt is good to watch. Poetic Justice with uh, the Edward Grimsdyke character is heartbreaking and horrifying. There's a lot of good things in this anthology, but but this first one and all through the house is such a great bit of psychological horror 
to watch during the holiday season. Now, something that's a little more fun to watch, but still adds bits of fantasy and, and horror is 1984's, I guess you could call it a comedy horror, uh, directed by Joe Dante, written by the incomparable Chris Columbus, it's Gremlins. And really, I don't think this movie gets its just due for being a Christmas movie. Uh, you know, you get all the, the bro boys out there that play with themselves with excitement about Die Hard being a Christmas movie. And I won't deny that. But it's a bigger stretch to call Die Hard a Christmas movie than it is to call Gremlins a Christmas movie. Because it takes place during Christmas. Gizmo is a Christmas gift. You get the sentimentality of the holiday. You get the seriousness of the holiday. When there's that bit of a, a monologue between Phoebe Cates and Zach Galligan about how her father uh, died climbing down the chimney, broke his neck, they didn't find him for days. Uh, it's such a sad and and horrific uh, story to tell. And it kind of plays to the idea that Christmas isn't always a good time for people. It's not always a happy time for people. But you get that aspect of it, which is horrific in and of itself. Then you get the metamorphosis of these mogwai into the gremlins and these gross pods. And then the creatures that come out of them that are little uh, psychotic killers. Now, there's a lot of comedy in this. Uh, there's a lot of fun in this. The little scenes with Zach Galligan's Billy and Gizmo are very fun and cute. You get some of the scenes with the gremlins where they're in the bar and doing all sorts of quirky things when they're watching Snow White and they're singing along. There, there's some fun and there's some comedy to this. But again, there's a lot of horror to it as well. Uh, these creatures are going around causing mishaps that people are dying. Uh, the scene where uh, Billy and Gizmo have the showdown with Stripe and he gets in the sunlight and starts to deteriorate and melt. And it felt very <laughs> felt very Raiders of the Lost Ark with the guy's face melting. It was just, uh, there's some gross horror. There's some suspense horror. There's some body horror, if you will, when you're talking about the, the gremlins and, and what's going on with them. And it's such a fun bit of, like I said, comedic horror to enjoy at Christmas time. And it, it's a very, you know, sweet sentimental ending that kind of plays into the holidays, which makes this one of my favorite things to watch. I mean, I could watch Gremlins any time of year, let's be quite honest about that. But uh, but I do have a special place in my heart for it to, uh, to watch it around uh, the Christmas season. Now, this next holiday oddity we're going to talk about, it's not a show, but it is a special from a show. Creep Show made a resurgence on Shudder. They've done three seasons now, which I have loved each and every one of them. But one of the cool things they did in between season one and season two, they did a couple specials. They did like a Halloween special where they did a couple Stephen King and Joe Hill stories in like an animated style. And then they did a Christmas special that was directed by Greg Nicotero. He did the teleplay based on a J.A. Conrath story back in 2020 called Shapeshifters Anonymous. And this is one of those bizarre holiday classics that I I have just fallen in love with. It's about these this 
AA meeting for shapeshifters. And it stars Adam Polly as Robert Weston. He's a shapeshifter, thinks he's a were creature of some sort, and he may have killed people. Pete Burris is in this, Anna Camp. Frank Nicotero, Candy McClellan, Derek Russo. There's a lot of really good actors in this. And the funny thing is, is they tie this into Christmas because uh, Santa Claus, played by Tom Glenn, is a, a shapeshifter hunter. Santa Claus comes and attacks the uh, facility where they're having this meeting with a bunch of, I believe it's shopping mall Santas as his minions. There's a big battle. All the people in this this AA group, uh, this Shapeshifters Anonymous group, uh, take on their animal forms. And it's one of those episodes that is, it's not meant to be... I like straight up horror. It's really fun horror. It's, I guess you could say to some degree, a little bit of comedic horror. There are some funny moments, but I think it's more the ridiculousness of these shapeshifters or therianthropes taking on Santa Claus in this battle royale that is just so much fun. And it is so not your typical holiday fare that. You know, I I don't mind the campiness. I don't mind the, you know, kind of low-budget special effects, even though Greg Nicotero and his special effects group, they do a fantastic job. But, you know, this is this is not a very high-budget television show, a uh, creep show. And, you know, they got to keep costs down to, to keep the show running, I think. And so it's, it's not the best special effects, but they're fun, and it's campy, and it's Christmas, and it's horror mingled together. And it really is a, a fun bit of quote-unquote horror to watch around the holiday season. Now, next on my list of favorite uh, Christmas oddities to watch around the holiday season is a movie that came out the year I was born. So I didn't watch this. This, this came out October 11th, 1974, and I was born October 29th, 1974. So uh, a mere 18 days before I was born, uh, Black Christmas came out a Canadian slasher film directed by none other than Bob Clark now you if you don't if you've never watched Black Christmas uh, you know Bob Clark because he was the director behind a Christmas story you know Ralphie and the Red Rider BB gun yeah that was Bob Clark as well and it's really funny when you watch uh, Black Christmas Having watched Christmas Story first, I didn't watch Black Christmas probably till till much later because, like I said, I wasn't even born when this came out, and it would have been something my mother would have let me watch on TV uh, because there was a lot of stigma with this uh, when it came out, even though it's really been regarded as one of the greatest horror films ever made and influential in so many movies in the genre, especially John Carpenter's Halloween was highly influenced by Bob Clark's Black Christmas. But this is a movie that I saw later. I saw this after I would have seen A Christmas Story. So having seen A Christmas Story and having watched this, you can really see between the two of them the similar style in filming, the establishing shots of houses uh, and the way they're lit uh, with Christmas lights. Both of these being Christmas movies, you can really see a lot of the similarities between how Black Christmas was shot and then A Christmas Story was shot some, you know, 10 or so years later and that to me was fun when I really first discovered that but this is such a really good dark Christmas story it, it doesn't really pertain all that much to Christmas per se other than this was 
taking place during the the Christmas holiday. And of course, stars uh, Olivia Hussey. Uh, you may know her from uh, Romeo and Juliet. The a few years earlier, Kier Delea, Margot Kidder, Andrea Martin, John Saxon, who played Nancy's father in A Nightmare on Elm Street, Douglas McGrath, who played Spider on uh, Pale Rider. I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan. Not only do I love horror movies, but I like other movies, and I'm a sucker for a Clint Eastwood Western. But this movie is so fantastic because, one, it takes place around the holidays, so you have that holiday tie-in. It played off the old urban legend of the killer being in the house the whole time. There's a lot of urban legends about a killer being on the loose and there's a babysitter babysitting some kids and she keeps getting crank phone calls uh, from, from somebody and they keep getting more menacing. She calls the cops and they trace the phone line and they find out the, the killer's been in the house the whole time. It really played off of that. And while you didn't have a lot of gruesome kills in this, because I don't think horror has to be gory, it doesn't have to be gruesome, the tension that Bob Clark set up, he did a lot of POV shots, which you can really see the way he influenced John Carpenter, because John Carpenter used a lot of POV and a lot of handheld cameras with Halloween, the original Halloween. And you can really see where Bob Clark influence that because you get a lot of pov shots from this killer that's been in the attic the whole time slowly picking off all the girls in this sorority house but the murders are are very much like the murders in the original halloween uh, another way john carpenter was influenced by this that they are subtly violent there's a lot of violence to them there's a lot of strength to them but it's not overdone like David Gordon Green did with the murders in, you know, Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. Michael Myers is violent, but it shows on the screen where these these murders were subtle, violent but subtle, if, if that makes any sense. Very nuanced, not just violence for violence's sake. And then the red herring that they kind of set up that this boyfriend, Olivia Hussey, her character Jess's boyfriend is the killer. And then we find out that no, he wasn't the killer. The killer's been in the attic all this time. It just, uh, it, it was such a classic story, classically told and done in such a fantastic way. The the acting was all good. Margot Kidder was uh, really a standout in this. John Saxon really knows how to play that uh, small town sheriff, kind of like he does in uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And, and I think he shows up again in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Marion Waldman plays Mrs. Mack, who... <laughs> She plays such a, a funny character, uh, this, you know, mom that's kind of taking care of all these girls at this this house, this college dorm house, and she's all the time fine. She's got bottles of, of whiskey hidden everywhere, and she's taking a little nip every time, but uh, it, it's really such a, a good fun story if a horror story can be fun not in a fun jokes and jokes and jokes sort of way but a fun in that it's just well acted it's a good story it's a scary story it's a there but for the grace of god go i type of story this is not a supernatural story this is a, a homicidal maniac on the loose and could happen to any of us type of story which always, I, I think, lends itself to being creepy. I mean, I'm, I'm more of a, I love slasher films to, to have a supernatural element, but this is one of those occasions where it doesn't have to be supernatural 
to be good and believable and to be scary. Uh, Scream's not scary because that killer, the ghost face guy, is not supernatural and it just is not done believable to me. This is a situation where it didn't have to be supernatural for this killer to be scary. And that's one of the things I love about Black Christmas and why this is uh, one of those horror Christmas movies that that I always try to watch every time the holiday season comes around. Now, this is the part in the episode where I was going to, to end this. But then I watched something just mere hours ago that I couldn't help but put in this because this is the type of movie that I am going to watch every year from now on. It's a movie that came out in 2015. It's a Canadian anthology film called A Christmas Horror Story. You can find it on Shudder. That's where I found it. I believe I've seen it on uh, Amazon Prime. I believe I've seen it on Netflix, uh, some other you know streaming services. But this was such a fantastic horror anthology. You know I love anthology. But when you can add a horror anthology and, and make it Christmassy, I held off on watching this for so long because the cover just seemed, oh, this is just going to be another one of those crappy, low-budget horror movies that I'm just not going to enjoy. But I finally broke down. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this thing a shot. And I checked it out. And this, like I said, A Christmas Horror Story is a superb anthology. I don't know how much they paid on this. I don't know what sort of budget they had. It's not over-the-top budget-wise special effects, but the special effects that they do have in this, they do really well. And the acting, for not having any real big-name actors other than William Shatner, who who plays a part in this, but he plays a part in this that really adds some comic relief and adds a bit of a through line that that I quite enjoyed. But you've got these four stories. You've got these three students who go to this school where a murder happened a year prior. Part of the school used to be a convent. The murder is suspected to have some supernatural elements to it. The girl that shows up to get them the key to the school, uh, there's a story with her and her family, her father, mother, her younger brother. They're going to an old estranged aunt's house. The father wants to ask her something, to make amends and ask her something. The cop that investigated the original murders at this school, uh, who's been on leave for the last year. There's a story with him and his wife and their son. And then there's a fourth story that really doesn't have any connection with the the other three stories it's a story of santa claus at the north pole and his elves contract some sort of disease that turned them into foul-mouthed homicidal zombie-like running zombie-like creatures that he has to battle and then the through line to this whole anthology is william shatner's playing this dj dangerous dan i always laugh because i am a radio disc jockey or at least i i was i've been kind of unceremoniously taken off the air to do some behind the scenes um, work for my uh, the company that owns our radio stations but that's neither here nor there but he plays this dj and and all these stories take place in this town called bailey downs and he's doing this christmas broadcast and i love it because he starts out he's got this coffee mug he's filling it with eggnog and a little nip 
of some whiskey and as the night goes he keeps drinking more and by the end of the the movie he's drinking straight from the bottle but his weatherman has gone to a local shopping mall to cover a food drive and throughout the movie we keep hearing about uh, a disturbance that's going on at this mall now the story of the the three kids that go to the school they're investigating this this uh, murder and the supernatural elements. Uh, that was a fun story. It wasn't my favorite story, but it wasn't a bad story. It's it's sort of a ghost of Christmas past sort of story. It's, 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 it's a straight up Christmas ghost story that has a little bit of a mystery to it that, that you need to, you don't need to solve. Uh, it's all fairly straightforward. But uh, like I said, this was probably the least favorite of my favorite stories in this. This other story, uh, the story about Scott Peters. He was the police officer who investigated the murder case of the two students in that school uh, the year prior, played by Adrian Holmes, who did a great job. There's a story about him and his wife, Kim, and their son, William, who go onto this private property to cut down a Christmas tree. William goes missing, comes back. He starts acting strange. He's not talking. He's got this scowl on his face. Uh, we see a guy, uh, Big Earl, played by Alan C. Peterson, who who sees them leaving. And Will starts acting strange at home, stabs his father's hand with a fork, is groping his mother, watching her come out of the shower, ends up killing the father. And Big Earl calls Kim and lets her know that that's not her son, that's a changeling. And this was probably one of the scarier episodes because you see reflections of this changeling in the window and it's not human. Uh, you see him in the background and he turns his head and his eyes are, are glowing like a like light reflecting off an animal's eyes. And it just it was scary and creepy and absolutely my favorite story, hands down, in this anthology, this four-piece anthology. The third story about the girl who stole the keys so the other kids could get it in the school caprice, uh, her, her brother Duncan, and their parents go to see this estranged aunt, Aunt Etta. And there's a lot of complicated things as to why they're going there. Uh, they're a well-to-do family, but they're apparently not as well-to-do as they thought, uh, thanks to the father. But this really is a, another Krampus story. And this Krampus is a little more creaturely and less like the Krampus we see in the movie Krampus. So I like that it was a different interpretation of Krampus. I like the, the fact that it was more of a traditional uh, idea of what Krampus is in regards to why Krampus is. There's definitely a body count in this one, which was, which was good and horrific. Uh, the showdown was believable between the girl, uh, Caprice, and, uh, and, and Krampus. I, I just really enjoyed this. And then the fourth story about Santa Claus and the zombie elves was really one of the more interesting stories. And probably my second favorite story in all of this. Because through this whole anthology movie, none of the stories are very much connected except for the very beginning. Uh, the other three stories are connected the Santa Claus story is totally disconnected, but they intercut all these stories together. So you don't get one, two, three, four stories. They're all kind of intercut. And as the, the story goes on, we see more and more of this, this Santa Claus fighting these zombie elves, uh, having to kill them. It is very much kind of what I like to call fun horror. It's, it's scary. You've got these creatures coming at him, but it's done in a fun and fanciful way 
very much violence and gore and limbs getting hacked off, that sort of thing. But we come down to the end and Santa Claus has defeated the elves. Then all of a sudden, Krampus is there. And we see this showdown between Krampus and Santa Claus. Of course, Santa Claus is played by uh, George Buzza, I believe is his last name. And you may recognize his voice. You may not recognize his face, but his voice, he played Beast in the X-Men uh, animated series from back in the mid 90s they have this showdown santa claus is about to uh, land the final blow on krampus and all of a sudden you hear krampus talk in a regular voice saying norman please don't and we find out that this whole santa story has been a delusion it's actually william shatner's dangerous dan character his weatherman Stormin norman who was at this the shopping mall department store for this food drive. He was supposed to be there dressed as Santa. And he had this uh, psychotic breakdown where he thought he was at the North Pole. He thought it was Santa, thought these elves were, were zombies. And instead of killing those, he was actually killing shopping mall people. And that's the disturbance at the mall that William Shatner's Dangerous Dan character has been talking about through this whole movie. It was just a, a fun twist uh, that I did not see it coming. Uh, sometimes a lot of twists you can see coming. This I didn't. I didn't see it coming, and it just made it such a fantastic movie. Like I said, there was a lot of scares in these stories, uh, a lot of good storytelling, a lot of good acting. The special effects for, like I said, I, you know, I don't know is if how, what kind of a budget they had, but the special effects they did were were pretty good and and very enjoyable and believable. And and I I for one. Uh, look forward to watching this anthology, uh, A Christmas Horror Story, over and over again every year. And then at the very end, during the credits, you get a little box with William Shatner. He's he's taking calls as this Dangerous Dan character. And it adds a little bit of fun humor at the end of it. Because by this point in the movie, he's quite snookered and, uh, and taking these phone calls uh, as a DJ. And it's just uh, being a DJ myself. It was fun that way. But you don't have to be a DJ to enjoy the antics of one William Shatner at the end of this movie. So A Christmas Horror Story, if you haven't watched it, you really need to check it out because like I said it's got some good stories it's got some scary stories it's got some scares I mean there's some jump scares which to me are cheap scares but there's a lot of atmosphere and eeriness in some of them especially the one about the changeling the really good stories and this this is a, a fun holiday horror fest that I think needs to be a part of uh, of every horror fan or a fan of fantasy or sci-fi needs to be a part of your Christmas regiment. So there you have it. Those are some of my tried and true favorite holiday oddities, Christmas oddities, uh, bizarre things, horror, fantasy, sci-fi that I like to watch each and every Christmas. Now, granted, there are a lot more stories out there to talk about, but those are for a... Well, the ghost of Christmas yet to come has told me to, to hold off on some of those. So uh, next Christmas time, we're going to talk about some of the other things I love to watch, some of the other Christmas favorites that are out there. But whatever you watch this holiday season, hopefully you have a, a very safe and happy Christmas, a very haunted Christmas, if you will. Now, coming up on Thursday's episode, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to be talking about 
the new Netflix series Hellbound, which has taken Netflix like by storm, much like the Squid Games did. And then the following week, we're going to be talking about two big movies coming out on the same day. Uh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the movie theater uh, over over the weekend, but we've got Spider-Man No Way Home coming out, and we've also got Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. So we'll do Spider-Man on Monday's episode, and then we'll do Nightmare Alley on not this Thursday, but the following Thursday's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. You can keep that all straight by going to our Facebook fan page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook, where I have a complete schedule of all the episodes we have coming out throughout the month of December. Plus, I like to go search for articles and trailers for TV shows and movies that I think you're going to find interesting. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, Please, wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, please leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you give us, we we appreciate the feedback. And want to thank everyone for uh, checking us out out and please share this podcast with everyone you know that loves horror fantasy and sci-fi and until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop (laughs) ha 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 ha